left off in Zephaniah 2 last time, <coughs> my intent uh, in all this is to ultimately, and I hope today to, to finish the thought, is when are, or when does the, the uh, gathering occur? What type of situation is it going to be when that does occur? Now, we've seen many scriptures showing that God is going to gather a tenth part of his people together here at the end time to finish his work or to do really another work beyond the calling work that has already been done. Now we're in a time of testing, trial, and choosing to determine who will be those who finish the job. But there are some, I think, pretty clear indicators in Scripture of what the conditions are going to be at the time this occurs. People ask me from time to time, well, when's this going to happen? When's a gathering going to occur? And I think I can show you that pretty closely, and I think I can even show you from Scripture uh, the time of year that it will occur. So let's get on into that. We did read some in Zephaniah 1 and 2 last week about how a financial crash is coming. And in chapter 2, it then tells God's people to gather themselves before that decree of financial destruction actually occurs. So it says if you get away before that happens, uh, chances are, if you're humble, he says, you will be protected and taken care of. So there's a hint there. Uh, as you watch news, as you watch what's going on, uh, you, you can't help but realize that the financial condition of the whole world is in terrible shape. And the nation that is in the worst shape is America. Japan follows pretty closely on the heels along with Greece and Portugal and Italy and some of the others, but uh, it's getting pretty grim all over the world now. But it's the financial crash within Israel that Zephaniah is addressing and that we are to gather ourselves before that occurs. Now, let's see what we can put with that without going further here in Zephaniah by going to Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50 and 51 are written about the fall of Babylon. Uh, I did a quite a series of sermons showing from Scripture that the only nation that fits the characteristics of modern Babylon as described in Scripture is this nation. There is no other nation that even comes close to fulfilling the biblical requirements for the end-time modern Babylon. And much of the evidence, or a great deal of evidence, is right here in Jeremiah 50 and 51. But it starts out in, well, let's look at verse 39 of, of Jeremiah 49 first. It shall come to pass in the latter days, the end of this age, not the millennium, but at the end of this age. So let's get the timing of this. And go into chapter 50. The word that the Eternal spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Now, Jeremiah spoke of a destruction of Babylon, and indeed a destruction of Babylon came at the hands of Cyrus, king of Persia, when they diverted the Euphrates and uh, took Babylon. But this is an end-time prophecy. 
of a, an end-time Babylon. And we'll see that again very clearly in Revelation 18. Revelation was written long, long, long after that fall of Babylon back then. And this is an end-time prophecy as well, as are all the prophets. Declare you among the nations, and publish and set up a standard. Publish and conceal not. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel or Baal is confounded. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are confounded. Her images are broken in pieces. So the American way of life, our culture, our society, and everything to do with it, with all of our current modern gods, are going to be taken away. You have to extrapolate the gods they might have had back then to today uh, and what gods we have today. And they will be taken away. For out of the north there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove or be removed. They shall depart both man and beast." So this destruction that is coming on the United States, Ephraim, along with the other nations of Israel here in the end time, is going to be a desolation. Ezekiel 5 tells us a third will die of famine and pestilence, a third of the sword, and a third will be taken into captivity, and only about 10% uh, left in the land to go ultimately into the millennium when that is done. But this is for the latter days and the destruction of Babylon in its current form. In those days and in that time, when Babylon is about to be destroyed, and we'll see in what manner it will be destroyed uh, apart from Ezekiel 5 pretty quickly here. The children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah, together, going and weeping, they shall go and shall seek the eternal, their God. Now this is referring to spiritual Israel and spiritual Judah as an end-time event before Babylon is destroyed, okay? They will also be gathered, the physical remnant of Israel, at the beginning of the millennium. So there's two gatherings spoken of, 10% of the church, spiritual Israel and Judah, and then later... A, uh, a calling together of the 10% that is physically left of the nations of Israel at the beginning of the millennium. So these are going to come weeping and seeking the eternal, their God. They know who their God is. They know the eternal. But they have been laid sin, They have been scattered. And now they're going to come seeking their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed that way, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. I want to turn to God. I want to be there forevermore. A perpetual covenant. Eternal covenant. So, as the destruction of Babylon is introduced here, it shows people fleeing from before it saying, where is Zion? How do I get to Zion? My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They've turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill, from big organizations to small organizations. They have for forgotten their resting place. 
All that found them have devoured them, and their adversaries said, We offend not, because they have sinned against the eternal. They're fair game. We can pick on them because they're sinners after all. Verse 8, Remove out of the midst or the middle of Babylon, and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as the he-goats before the flock. For lo, I will raise up and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. And they shall set themselves in array against her and destroy her, as it goes on to say. And they are destroyers of God's heritage. They're destroyers of Israel, God's heritage. So he says, flee before the financial crash. He says, flee because this assembly is coming against the nation. And you need to get out of it before it hits. So just before seems to be the intimation here. They'll be fleeing before it. It'll be a matter of, of hurry because you see the signs, the handwriting on the wall, the Babylon is about to go. And God gives instruction. All right, verse uh, 18. Uh, 17 says, Israel's a scattered sheep. The king of Assyria has devoured him. So this nation is going to be devoured. So it's not talking about ancient Babylon being devoured. Israel is listed as Babylon here, the one to be destroyed. Therefore thus says the eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will punish the king of Babylon and his land, as I have punished the king of Assyria. And I will bring Israel again to his habitation, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. Mount Ephraim's right over here. In those days and in that time, says the eternal, The iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. God is going to preserve, reserve, a tithe for himself. This is one of the primary reasons tithing is such an important doctrine to God. He will have his tenth, and it is more to him than just money. A tenth of his people is what he's really pointing at. Those who will obey him. And that is one of the key factors in his decisions. So he'll save out 10%. Now that ties in with Isaiah 44 as it comes to mind here. Just before it shows the hidden treasures of darkness and so on, being found that show the silver and the gold as God's and will be used to build a temple. It says there in Isaiah 45 that as he gathers his people together from the north, south, east, and west, that he will forgive their sins. They will wipe them out as a cloud is the way he puts it there. So here he says, I will pardon those whom I reserve, those that he stirs to gather. That's the way a Haggai puts it. I will stir them to come, a remnant of his people. So he will forgive them, he will preserve or reserve them, and he will stir them to come. So many, many scriptures come together here to show what God has in mind for the near future. 
Verse 23, How is the hammer of the whole earth cut asunder and broken? How has Babylon become a uh, desolation among the nations? There's one of the things. Who is the hammer of the whole earth? We might get into much on Babylon, but there's only one nation that hammers on everybody these days, anybody they want to, wherever. I have laid a snare for you, and you also taken Babylon, and you were not aware, you are, not, or you are found and also caught, because you have striven against the Eternal. So it's going to come without most of the people of this nation realizing what is occurring. There are more and more people beginning to realize what's going on in this nation and in the world. A few are beginning to wake up, but the majority of the people of this nation are going to be taken in abject surprise. They won't know where it came from or how it got there, and it is going to happen suddenly, as we shall see. Now, go on down to verse 28. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Eternal our God, the vengeance of His temple. So, out of the midst of Babylon, now Babylon is also a worldwide system, and God has people around the world, but He has most of His people in this nation itself. And they flee before this destruction to declare in Zion that God is wreaking His vengeance on this nation of Israel, currently known as Babylon. Didn't He say there in Ezekiel 16, at the beginning of the chapter, where He calls America or Israel the great whore, that he says, your mother looks like a Hittite and your, your father an Amorite or vice versa, whatever it is. I think it was Hittite and Amorite. In other words, you look like Gentiles. You don't look like Israelites. So when he names us Babylon, it fits in with that as well. And it also ties in with Revelation 17 and 18, as we'll get to a little later today. Now, let's go to Jeremiah 51. I'm going to try to buzz through these and finish this today and get on to something else next week. Jeremiah 51. <clears throat> Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me a destroying wind, and will send to Babylon fanners that shall fan her. You, you fan a fire to get it burning brightly. And shall empty her land, for in the day of trouble they shall be against her round about. Now let's go on down to verse 5. For Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Eternal of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. So again, right in the middle of a prophecy against Babylon, he's talking about Israel, because they're one and the same in this end time application. Verse 6. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. For the time of the Eternal's vengeance, he will render to her a recompense. We just read about the vengeance of the Lord and how God's people would declare it from Zion. Here he says, flee from it and don't be caught up in it. So it's almost like the tidal, tidal wave is coming at you. Get out of the way before it hits. So God is going to stir people Himself, but He also puts part of the onus on us to flee before it 
and not let yourself get caught in it when it does occur, because it is coming, and it is now coming fast. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen to destroyed. How for her? Verse 9, we would have healed Babylon. Have you had an emotion of healing some rock-strewn, abandoned place in the Middle East that used to be a society known as Babylon? I haven't. Have I had emotions about seeing this nation on its last legs, <coughs> declining and decaying morally, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and in every way, and I would have saved it if I could? This is where my loyalties would be to this nation. I'd do anything I could to save them. I don't even pray for it. They're not going to listen. They won't hear. And if you do prophesy against it, it says they won't listen. They won't hear. They'll just talk about you behind your back. It says that in Ezekiel 33 or 4, somewhere. 33, I think. So it doesn't do any good and wouldn't. Uh, let's see. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go everyone to his own country. Where is our country? The promised land. Ours. There are other people who have come here. <laughs> They're flooding across the southern border, and when they see this coming, they may turn around and turn tail and go right back where they came from. But you and I are going to go to the promised land, where we originally came from, and that is here. A few of you are already here. Others will be coming by the thousands as this thing uh, is about to happen and God stirs them. Anyway, <clears throat> for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Eternal has brought forth our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Eternal, our God. So God's work is going to be done out of this Zion, Jerusalem area here. And we will declare it. Uh, Jeremiah 31 talks about how uh, the watchman will stand on Mount Ephraim. That's here, because Zion is here, and the mountains of Ephraim are here. Set up the standard on the walls of Babylon. Make the watch strong. Set up the watchman. Prepare the ambushes. And then he declares that the end of Zion is come. Let's go to Isaiah 6. Uh, I think we can see very clearly there in, uh, in Jeremiah that as this thing comes down, you've got to get out of its way or you'll be caught up in it. Here in Isaiah 6, <clears throat> uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Eternal sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he talks about angels here. Uh, do we not see in Zechariah 2 that... At the time of the flight, and we'll get to that one here in a little bit, but I want to tie it in here some. Uh, Christ will come and dwell with his people, it says there in Zechariah 2. Here, uh, he shows his capacity to travel and how these holy angels are with him. Verse 4, And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, when Christ begins to make his presence known, it's going to scare some people, including Isaiah, or modern-day leaders that we might have today. Woe is me, I am undone. 
because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Eternal of hosts. When Christ takes a direct hand in these things right here at the end, when he stands to begin his wonderful work, as it's put, and we realize his closeness, his proximity, and the power and the glory he begins to show, it will be scary. Perhaps there will be some who stand like the Pharisee and say, Here I am, Lord. Been waiting for you. So glad you're here. Let's have a good time. Because I know I'm qualified to meet you. It's been a long time now. Uh, happy to see you. But I think most of us would be kind of like the publican, and we would duck our head and fall on our face and say, Woe is me, I am of unclean lips. The things that pass through my lips come from my brain, which is unclean. And the leaders and the people all pale against the righteousness of Christ himself, every last one of us. <clears throat> then flew one of the seraphim to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. I already quoted Isaiah 45, saying, In a day when Christ begins to show this, the time that the treasures are to be revealed, this is all coming together all at the same time for the purpose of building God's temple and Jerusalem in the end time. All these scriptures are pointed toward that time, and all these events are tied to it in time, just before the fall of Babylon. And I heard the voice of the Eternal saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah says, Man, we're all unclean, including me. Where's this message going to come from? Oh, no, wait, the voice of the Lord said, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Who am I going to send to give this message? Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Now, here's the message that you're to give them. Hear you indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. God isn't setting his hand at this point to convert the world, to convert the nation. It has got to be punished first. So, he said, they're going to be deaf and blind and dumb. In other words, like I said well ago, it's going to come totally unaware to most people in this country. They won't see it coming. Then said I, Lord, how long? He was concerned about the timing as well. How long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. This is the message you're to give until the time that this destruction comes. And the eternal have removed men far away, <clears throat> and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. 
But yet in it shall be the tithe, the tenth. And it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a teal tree, as an oak, whose substance is in them, when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So the holy seed, spiritual Israel, are going to be the ten percent that return. They gather just before, or just as, this destruction hits, and the houses are left desolate, and the land taken by the foreign army, as we've already seen. So Isaiah gives us another clue that it's how long till this destruction hits. And just out of that destruction comes a 10% who will respond to God and be used to finish the work. Let's go to Isaiah 47. I don't want to spend much time in 47. It is an indictment here of Babylon a virgin daughter of Babylon sit on it uh, and talks about which that which will suddenly come on her in verse 11. How she thinks, I'm fine with most Americans. We're protected here. Don't worry. We've got nothing to worry about. Uh, no, wrong. Anyway, she's coming down suddenly. And how the merchants and so on will wail her because what have we done? We've made the whole world rich, as Revelation 18 says. Catholic Church didn't do that. She's not the great harlot. We are. Ezekiel 16 makes that very clear. So they're called by the name of Israel and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Eternal and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. The nation doesn't have truth, and they are not righteous. Had some truth, but wasn't righteous. And therefore had to be spewed out of God's mouth. And he says that ultimately, when this is done, our righteousness will be of God, not our own self-righteousness, which we have today. And I'm not talking about other groups, I'm talking about right here. All of us. Our righteousness is not yet currently of God. We haven't learned to give our whole heart to God yet. We came out of a self-righteous Laodicean group, and a lot of it still remains. Maybe some of God's righteousness is here. Don't, I don't want to put us down completely, but we also have still an awful lot of our own that we have to deal with. Anyway, uh, Let's move on down here to verse 20. Now, he's talking to Israel. Chapter 47 was about Babylon and its destruction, right? Now, in chapter 48, he's discussing Israel. And he tells Israel, verse 20, Go you forth out of Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare you, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. What did Isaiah say? Here I am, here I am, go ahead and send me. Say you, the Eternal has redeemed his servant Jacob. So even in the midst of the destruction of this nation, modern Babylon, he tells Israel, Jacob, his called out ones, spiritual ones here, to leave Babylon, to get away from the destruction that's coming, and how he will redeem them. And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Eternal, to the wicked. 
So he says it's going to be like it was when you came out of Mitzrayim, that first captivity. God will take care of us. He will feed us. He will give us water. Uh, that which is needed will be provided. So a promise comes along with the instruction to get out. And we just read about the destruction of Babylon being upon the nation when he says to flee out of her. So again, this one seems to indicate it's going to be right there as it begins. Chapter 49, verse 13. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Eternal has comforted His people and will have mercy upon His afflicted. But Zion said, The Eternal has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. We might begin to say, Well, this thing isn't happening. We begin to give up or not be as committed or as active as we ought to be in seeking God. You know, he's forgotten us. This thing's gone on longer than we anticipated. Now, how long did God say in Isaiah 6? He said, until the land be desolate and the houses emptied. Are we watching the leaves on the trees, as Matthew 24 says? If you're watching, you know that the destruction of this country is not far away, financially and militarily. It is not far away. And I don't have time to go into all kinds of documentation on that, but it's very obvious if you're reading the alternative news and not listening to the MSM news all the time, Main Street malarkey. But we feel like, well, God's forsaken us. Why hasn't this happened? Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, they may forget, yet will I not forget you. <coughs> a mother will forget her nursing child before I forget you, he says. That's a pretty good promise. That's a good promise. Behold, I have graven you upon the palms of my hands. I've written you right here in my own hand, he says. That's pretty personal. Your walls are continually before me. Your children shall make haste. Your destroyers and they that made you waste shall go from you. Lift up your eyes round about, and behold, all these gather themselves together and come to you. So God says he is going to prepare a place for his people, and then they will come. Let's see, verse 20. The children which you shall have after you have lost the other shall say again in your ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. So, a lot of the children of the church are gone now. Ninety percent destruction will have occurred by the time this remnant is gathered. But then God is going to gather other children. He's going to start over with another temple, the second temple or the uh, latter temple the former temple having been essentially destroyed. Let's go to Revelation 18. <clears throat> if anybody's going to argue about something being an end-time prophecy, this has got to be it. We're nearly at the end of the book of Revelation. All of these things are happening, the plagues and all the uh, wars and the various things that occur in the book of Revelation. Chapter 18. <coughs> it talks about 
the whore being destroyed in chapter 17, the beast and the false prophet destroy her. People have tried to say that the false prophet and the whore were this one and the same, the Catholic Church. Can't be, because the beast and the false prophet, the church, a church, destroy the whore. And God calls Israel the whore. So we know what we are as a nation before God. Okay? That great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, what would that be? New York, Washington? <laughs> yeah. Right now we're the only superpower, the ones who say what will happen in the world. That's changing very rapidly, by the way, but it's still roughly true to this day. Well, not considering that American leaders are being told what to do behind the scenes since they're puppets for a greater power. But uh, all that aside, I want to make this point today. After these things, I saw another angel, verse 1 of 18, come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Our society is degraded to the point it's just plain putrid to God. That's what our nation is before God today. That's why we're going to be destroyed. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We've had a, an intimate relationship with the nations of the world in sin and greed and in lust for money and power, natural resources, the whole thing. The whole earth has committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Catholic Church has never made any nation rich. They have taken the riches from many nations over the years. America has made rich nations recently. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. So God tells his true, converted, called out ones to come away, to come out from her, so that we aren't part of her sins and her plagues. We have plagues threatening us right now of Ebola and other diseases that are, could get out of hand very easily and may be caused to get out of hand very easily. But they're coming. Whether they're caused by man or caused by bugs, it doesn't matter. It's coming. And our people are going to die, one-third of us, of pestilence and famine. Or famine and pestilence is the way Ezekiel puts it. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. And how she'll be rewarded for this. And then it goes on to say in one day in verse 8. It says in one hour here somewhere in this chapter. Uh, verse 17. In other words, a very short period of time fits in with Zephaniah where it says it'll be a crash. Isaiah 29, I think it is, says it'll lean out like a wall and then crash. People have been watching the leaning tower of pizza. I saw it as I went by on the train in Italy. And it's leaned out there so far. And everybody's wondering, when's the Tower of Pisa going to fall? And they've made estimates on it and so on. Well, God says, 
our wall, that means military, it means economy, that which protects us, will lean out like a wall, and then when it finally reaches that point, bang, in an hour, in a day. Very short period of time. Not 24 hours, not 60 minutes, but very, very quickly, suddenly, as we already read earlier. So he says, come out of it just before it falls. Here again in Revelation 18. Uh, let's go to Isaiah 52. <clears throat> Isaiah 52. I think I am going to finish this today. Here he is telling us in 51 and 52 to wake up, to be aware, to realize what is coming, just like Christ told us in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, to see the leaves on the trees and know that this thing is getting very, very near. <coughs> wars and rumors of wars and so on are the signs that this thing is coming. The threat of pestilences and diseases and famines. Drought, pestilences are our door. Russia is threatening to nuke us. Putin did just recently. And on and on it goes. I mean, this week. So wake up. Realize this thing is coming. Verse 4, for thus says eternal, he says to sit up, shake yourself, quit being walked on, arise, because the Assyrian, the Mitzriamite, has oppressed you without cause. So uh, our destruction and oppression is coming very quickly here. Verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, that brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says to Zion, your God reigns. So at the time of the destruction of our nation, we are to be told that God is the one who is in charge and God reigns. Therefore, we don't need to fear, as Zephaniah tells us, among other places. Fear not, because God is in charge. And if you serve him, he will preserve you or reserve you, as we read in another place. Uh, your watchmen, plural here, not one, but plural, shall lift up the voice, with a voice together shall they sing, <clears throat> for they shall see eye to eye when the Eternal shall bring back or bring around or return to Zion. So, it will be proclaimed, but two will see eye to eye when God begins to turn it around, when he begins to call, begins to gather, begins to do miracles, as Zechariah 3 says, signs and wonders. Then is when uh, God will bring his leadership together to do this thing. At the time, verse 9, where it says, Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. Many, many places we've read where Jerusalem is called desolate and waste and no man there but it is going to be re-inhabited. It's funny, people think sometimes that I want this land. Daryl wants it. Daryl wants this place. Not in my name anyway, but people still seem to have that idea that I'm here to get this land. I could care less. You don't know me, brethren, if you think that. You don't know me at all. I want to leave this place as soon as I possibly can. And whoever wants to stay here can have it. 
I could care less. Don't we grasp that? I want to go to Jerusalem. I don't want to stay here. I want to go build a temple. I want to build Jerusalem back. I could care less about this place. It was established as a point for God's people to begin to come. But they're not going to stay here. They're going to go to the villages around Jerusalem. There may be a few who stay here. Maybe the ones who aren't invited to go there. But I don't want this place. I could care less. Don't want it in my name. Don't want to stay here. I want to go to Jerusalem. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The, the Eternal has made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. God is going to make Himself visible. He is going to take a direct hand in things, in other words. I didn't say He was going to shine like a light and be a halo over your head. But He is going to begin to take an active part in rising up, as the last verse of Zechariah 2 says, and to do His work. <laughs> And before it's all done, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He's going to see Satan pursue God's people once they've built Jerusalem to Zion. And they're going to see God's people escape. And they're going to see them being protected from the beast and the false prophet. <clears throat> so, as these things begin to come, what does he direct us to do? Verse 11. Depart you, depart you, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go you out of the midst of her, be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. Do not go out with haste nor by flight, for the eternal will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So it will not be as hasty a flight as will the time when you leave Jerusalem to go to Zion. Then you don't go in your house to get anything. You don't go back to the field. When you see, when you first hear the armies gathering about Jerusalem up here, you flee to the mountains of Judea and into Zion. That will be a hurried operation. It doesn't matter if the cat's still in the house. Just go. Okay? You will be fleeing for your very life. Now, this one won't be quite that way. There will be some time in there just before <clears throat> this crash comes and before the nation is taken where you have time to get out if you have eyes to see and ears to hear and God stirs you to so do. Now, what is the timing here? Just before the Assyrian comes in to destroy, wake up, you know it's near, and then the next chapter, inset here, is about Passover, <clears throat> first month of the year. <clears throat> Talks about Christ's sacrifice and all he does, the signs and wonders of Zechariah 3, the healings and various things that are going to occur may be tied in with Passover. May happen some before then, I don't know, 924 being a time when he says, from this day will I bless you, but the bigger blessings come later, as Joel 2 shows. But anyway, it talks about them seeing eye to eye and fleeing, and then the next thing it talks about is a Passover. So is it at Passover time? Question. We'll see some more scriptures. Then right after 
the chapter on Christ and Passover, comes chapter 54, where it said, Seeing, O barren, that did not bear. In other words, you're being delivered now, finally. Enlarge the place of your tent, verse 2, and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. For you shall break forth on the right and on the left, and your seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. So Gentiles are now around Jerusalem, and I think probably Ammonites, Moabites, uh, and so on, of the Mormons around us. But it's going to come to God's spiritual Israel, not the spiritual Gentiles that inhabit Utah today and the states around it. Fear not, for you shall not be ashamed. So, uh, this shows, perhaps, right after Passover is when the gathering will occur, and it will be then after Passover that the crash and the destruction occurs. How soon after remains to be seen, and, of course, which Passover remains to be seen. Next year, however, it is coming very late in the year, as late as it can come, since the new moon was 11 hours before uh, the spring equinox, <coughs> or will be. <coughs> so we have to wait as long as you can, a whole month before uh, you start the first month, and then 14 days puts uh, Passover on the 1st of May. That's as late as it can get, based on when the new moon occurs. So we have an indication here in a series of events that could indicate that after Passover is the time when the people will start coming and you've got to get bigger tents, okay? Now, let's, uh, let's lead in here to Zephaniah 2 again uh, toward the end of it uh, and pick up the story there <clears throat> because you can't, you can't deny Haggai and Zechariah if you're going to talk about the timing of this and all that is involved. Now, Zephaniah again opens with uh, a threat of a crash, a decree of one, in fact, and says, gather yourselves before that decree hits. Soon as possible, when you see it coming, I guess. Then it talks about Nineveh and the Assyrian and so on, because they are involved. He says he will save out for himself, verse 12, Uh, in the midst of you, an afflicted or poor and meek and humble people, and they will trust in the name of the Eternal. The remnant, here he mentions the remnant of Israel, remnant of spiritual Israel, a church here, because Haggai and Zechariah are talking about the church itself in the first, well, all the way through Haggai and the first half of Zechariah, more or less. Verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Didn't we just read that in in Isaiah, where it says, Sing aloud, and then know that it's time to spread your tent, because the people are coming. The Eternal has taken away your judgments. Uh, the, The trial period, the suffering, the problems we've been dealing with will go away. And the King of Israel will be in the midst of you. You shall not see evil anymore. He will take care of us from that time and forward. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear you not, and to Zion, let not your hands be slack. Don't fear, God will protect you, and don't be lazy, there's work to do. Got to build a temple. That's the next chapter, or next book, Haggai. The eternal your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. And he says, I will gather them that are sorrowful with the, for the solemn assembly which are of you. Which solemn assembly? 
Passover, pretty solemn assembly. Is it going to be at that time of year? Is that a hint? Is that a clue? Another one? Maybe. Behold, at that time, at the solemn assembly, I will, uh, I will undo all that afflict you, and I will save her that is limping and halt, and gather her that was driven out, and I will give them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame, and I will gather you, verse 20. So then in Haggai, uh, <clears throat> we know the story, I think, pretty well there. Uh, the people are doing their own thing, and they're not thinking about the temple of God. And he says, you know, you can barely get by. Your pockets have holes in them, and yet you're living in this sumptuous land. What about my house? What about my temple? He says, you need to consider your ways. And then the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, who turn out to be the sons of oil or the two witnesses, along with the remnant of the people, obeyed, verse 12, the eternal, and feared before him. And God said, I'll be with you, verse 13. And they came, end of verse 14, and worked on the house of the eternal, their God. Begin to build the temple. Now this happened on the sixth day, I mean the sixth month, first day. And then he cuts to the seventh month, 21st day, which was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, not the late last great day, but the day before, the seventh day. That's where it fell this year. Uh, and he talks about the residue of the people and who is around that's still alive, that isn't too old, so that they can see what was in worldwide and what is now the former temple compared to the latter temple. Uh, I am with you, be strong, he says in verse 4, uh, and my spirit is with you just like it was when you came out of, uh, of uh, Mitzrayim. Verse 6, for thus says the eternal, is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the dry land. So it's a very end time prophecy, it doesn't have anything to do with the temple being built by Herod or anybody else in the past. This is just before the heavens and the earth shake, end of the age is the context here. And I will shake all nations, and I'll fill this house with glory. So the temple of God's got to be built, filled with the glory of God. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the eternal. Why did he throw that out? Because he told us in Isaiah 45, he was going to provide uh, the riches of the hidden and dark places, and it's his. It's his. And the temple vessels will be there as well. So, I mean, you go to Ezra and Nehemiah and see that. <clears throat> and how the glory of this house will be greater than that which came before, verse 9. Be richer, be more glorious spiritually, be in better shape. Then we have the ninth month, 24th day. And he says you've got to separate the clean from the unclean before these things happen. And once that delineation is made, then from that day and forward, he would bless. Ninth, ninth month, 24th day. That's December 16th this year when it falls. And then he says he's going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now that's a quick tour again through the book of Haggai. But it fits in with what is happening again and the timing of it. Just before he begins to shake things, this has to happen. The remnant comes out and builds the temple. <clears throat> then Zechariah, see that takes us from 6-1 of the year that, that was, these prophecies were given through 9-24 and on into the future with the shaking. But Zechariah began his message right in the middle of that in the eighth month. Now, this is quite interesting. I, 
you know, we often, there are many different references in the Bible to things that would happen in the first month, in the seventh month, for instance, uh, the fast in the fourth and the fifth and the tenth month, Purim in the twelfth month. There are different things that occur in certain months of the year. And after Bible study or whenever it was, just as the eighth month was beginning, I thought, what is there about the eighth month? I can't think of anything important about the eighth month. And we just started the eighth month. So what could be important about it? So I looked up eighth month uh, on PC Bible study to see if there's anything that happens in the eighth month. The only thing there is Zechariah 1. The only thing. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. And the message here is, God has been sore displeased with your fathers, which would have been worldwide in this end time uh, concept. And he says, turn to me, turn to me, be not as your fathers, unto whom the prophets, former prophets have cried. So the prophecy goes back to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the minor prophets, and it also is referring to those who came to give the word of God here in the end time. <clears throat> Don't be like them. Turn from your evil doings, but they didn't hear nor hearken. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words will take hold of your fathers. Did and it will again. So the message, the only one given for the eighth month in the Bible, is don't stone the prophets. Listen to the prophets. Don't start throwing rocks because that isn't something God wants us to do. So there is something about the eighth month, and it comes right here in this prophecy about the end-time church and the beginnings of the building of the latter temple. A critical time not to stone the prophets. Now let's move on to, uh, let's see, what else did I want to throw in here? Zechariah, Zechariah 2. It talks here about measuring Jerusalem and how towns without walls will be built and much men and cattle and how God will protect it <clears throat> in verses 3 through 5. And then in verse 6, it says, Come forth and flee from the land of the north, says the Eternal. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, says the Eternal. So, within this context, it was taken right out of the middle of Haggai, is a flight. Verse 7, Deliver yourself, O Zion, that dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Eternal of hosts, After the glory has he sent me to the nations which spoiled you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. So right here, in this context, when we're about to go to Jerusalem and build the temple, is the time that the flight occurs. Deliver yourself. Flee to Zion, the Zion area. Not to Zion proper for the three and a half years, but to this area to go to work, to build the temple. Uh, and God will shake his hand upon those who fight it. Sing and rejoice, daughter of Zion, verse 10. Same thing we've read in several of the scriptures today. For lo, I will come and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Eternal. Remember where it says he would come and show the seraphim and everything. And Isaiah says, well, if you don't know who else, send here I am, send me. <clears throat> and many people shall be joined to the Eternal in that day and shall be my people. and I will dwell in the midst of you. When? Not the millennium. This is talking about the time of Joshua and Zerubbabel 
and the building of the end time temple is what it's talking about when Christ will come and dwell in the middle. And the eternal shall inherit Judah, his portion, his 10% again, in the Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. He chose Jerusalem originally as the place within Israel that everybody would come. Remember, he said, I'll choose a city within one of the tribes, and he did, and it was Jerusalem. And then there are many prophecies that said it would become desolate and without inhabitant for many generations. And that the people at the end time, if they obey him and give their money to the poor and the widows and so on, and humble themselves properly with fasting in Isaiah 58, that then they would be the restorers of the breach and help rebuild the places to dwell in. So this is talking about the same time. He'll choose Jerusalem Again, He chose it before, then it became desolate, and now it will be chosen again. There's another place further on in Zechariah that says uh, the children will yet play in the streets of Jerusalem. They're not playing there now. There's no inhabitants there. But they will, because Zechariah, I think it's 12, says so. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Eternal, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. He is on his throne beside his father today, and he is going to rise up, and he's going to cause these things to happen. Right here at the end. Uh, You could tie that with Micah 4, which we've read many times. I I think I'll run back there real quickly. Micah 4, because this is one of the ones... Uh, that people did not see when they began to think, well, it says get out of Babylon, and Babylon's America, and many people have begun to see that. So they fled to the Philippines or to Chile or El Salvador or somewhere to get out of Babylon. But they didn't consider this one scripture. He tells us here, if we're travailing, to be in pain and bring forth. I remember we already read where it says, Has he forgotten us? We're here in the middle of birth and we can't bring forth. Oh no, I won't forget you. I won't. Now, when you're in travail, and are we not, uh, shall you go forth out of the city and shall dwell in the field, the wilderness, and you shall go even to Babylon. There shall you be delivered. There the Eternal shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So we get out of the midst of Babylon, as we were told in Isaiah 48, but we stay within the borders of the nation of Babylon, this nation. And he will bring people from all over the world to the spot that he has chosen, which is Jerusalem again, after having been desolate. So that is the place that we are to come and there be delivered. But they know not the thoughts of the Eternal, neither understand they his counsel, for he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. People still don't understand. They don't know where they're going to go. But if they are faithful and serving God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul, he will stir them to come. And he's going to do some signs and wonders, Isaiah 52, uh, Zechariah 3, that will cause them to see. There will be riches, gold and silver, that are uncovered. That will also help them see where. And those riches will be shown and make the whole world from the east to the west know that God is God. So this stuff all comes together just before and just as the armies of the north and the coalition come against modern Babylon, the United States. 
and probably as a satellite thing, the rest of the nations of Israel and Western Europe. We'll probably get into that sometime a little later. Showing they too have to be uh, punished. And then it shows that when the Assyrian comes into our land in verse 5 of chapter 5, uh, we'll send seven, even eight men out against them, like Gideon and his army went out with only 300 and turned the Assyrians into mud, blood and mud, uh, because they turned on each other. So I don't know how this will happen, but it's not going to be a great army with all kinds of bombers and fighters. It's just going to be men of God who go out against the Assyrian and God will destroy the Assyrian. So we don't have to fear the Assyrian. So that's the setting of Micah 4 and 5, is when the Assyrian comes into our land. So you flee before he comes. And we already have Chinese and Russian troops in this nation. That's been reported from many different sources. So it isn't far off. I said I would and I shall. Jeremiah 30 now. Don't have much further here to go. Two or three more scriptures real quickly. Jeremiah 30, in the last verse, verse 24, to again give you some setting. Uh, In the latter days you shall understand or consider it. Then you go into chapter 31. At the same time, says the Eternal, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. So the families, first of all, spiritually, the church, which he always deals with that first. Thus says the Eternal, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So when the sword comes, he is going to deliver some into the wilderness, and they will find grace or forgiveness there. Sins be taken away. The Eternal has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Uh, Therefore, with kindness have I drawn you, gathered you, stirred you, whichever word you want to use. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin of Israel. You shall be again be adorned with your tabrets, and go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Remember Isaiah 54? Expand your borders, sing, shout, happy time. Verse 6, For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise you, and let us go up to Zion, to the Eternal our God. The mountains of Ephraim, Mount Cedar Mountain, and these mountains up here north of us, and down into Zion, are the mountains of Ephraim. And that is where, this area, this will be proclaimed, Come to Zion. And worship the Eternal, your God. For thus says the Eternal, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish you, praise you, and say, O Eternal, save your people, the remnant of Israel. So, part of the stirring that God will do, apparently, is going to have the watchmen, specifically two, stand up in the mountains of Israel and proclaim that they should come to Zion. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travails with child together. A great company shall return. Thousands. <coughs> They'll come with weeping and with supplication will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. He declares that here. Change the birth order. 
Hear the word, eternal, O you nations. Declare it in the isles far off and say, He that scatters Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. God's going to gather the remnant of the church in just this way. This is a specific prophecy. Verse 12, Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, the high mountains of Zion, right here, and shall flow to... Did you know... I didn't know it till just the other night, and I was on Google looking at some of this area. The Canaan Mountains are along 389 headed toward Hurricane. But right there on this map I was looking at, it showed these cliffs that surround us here as the Cliffs of Zion. I thought that was quite interesting. Sing in the height of Zion. And shall flow together to the goodness of the eternal for wheat and wine and oil for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their souls shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more. And the virgin will rejoice in the dance. But God's going to bring his people right here to this area, not this spot. Well, he's going to bring, I think, starting right here. And then quickly they'll go to other villages and to Jerusalem to build the temple. He will choose it yet again. Now, let's see just a little bit here, uh, quickly. Zechariah 2. Oh, I already read that. Uh, Let's go to Song of Songs 2. Song of Songs. Another little clue about the timing of all this. Remember it said, I'll stand up or I'll come and dwell with you there in Zechariah 2 and various other scriptures, Isaiah 6, where he says the same thing. He says it right here in the Song of Songs, which is really between Christ and His bride. Uh, Song of Songs 2, let's begin in verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, He comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart, beautiful. Behold, He stands behind our wall. He looks forth at the windows, showing Himself through the lattice. So Christ is going to begin to appear to His people at this point. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Come out of Babylon. Come be with me. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. Former and latter rains end in April. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard, or the turtle dove, is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. <clears throat> so he calls, stirs, gathers his people in the spring, maybe? When the former and latter rains have finished, and the earth is beginning to bloom and blossom, seems to fit all the other scriptures. What does verse 14 say? O my dove that are in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice, for sweet is your voice, and your countenance is comely. Where's the secret places of the stairs? We already know that. This geological staircase right across here is known as the Escalante Grand Staircase National Monument. Includes Zion. This is it. There are many cul-de-sacs and canyons and 
and oh my, this, this is a jumble of bad lands like you never saw anywhere on earth. There's so many secret places in this land form around us. And when? In the springtime. Fits Isaiah 52, right after Passover, <clears throat> when the people began to come and you enlarge your uh, tent. Joel 2, for a last reference, which says essentially the same thing. Joel 2. Here, this context is the day of the Lord. talks about all the, uh, the day of the Lord beginning, at least, and all the destruction that is coming from the armies that come against Israel. So it's the people of Israel who have to cry aloud and call a fast and so on. Blow the trumpet in Zion, in verse uh, 15 of chapter 2. Gather the people and assemble them and so on. Uh, fear not, verse 21. All these armies coming here in Joel and says, fear not. Who's he talking to? Us, same ones he spoke to in Zephaniah too. Fear not, God will be with you. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, verse 21, for the eternal will do great things. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. Is it going to happen in the spring? For the tree bears her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the eternal your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. Maybe he'll begin to bless from that day forth, from the ninth and 24th of Haggai. Uh, but that'll be kind of the former rains, and the blessing will not be that great as yet. And he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former and the latter rain, in the first. Well, when's the Passover? That fits in with Isaiah 52. It fits in with Song of Songs 2 and various other places that it is the first month of the year. Uh, that is in italics, and I know there was some thinking for a while that it might not be the first month but I think that it fits very well when you put all these scriptures together that it will be at that time. And I will restore the years that we've been going through trials, troubles, and spiritual famine, and so on. And then he says, afterward, in verse 28, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and they'll dream dreams and have visions, and so on. That probably would be at Pentecost time, because that's when he did it before in Acts 2. So I think we see the timing here that this gathering and flight and all that is going to occur just before and perhaps even in the beginnings of the financial crash and the military takeover of this nation. And that it probably will also be in the spring of the year, around Passover time or just after. So, is it this year? Some of these events have to occur. If you go back to Haggai and in the beginnings in Zechariah of some of these things and the world events have to be leading up to the crash and they have to be leading up to the military takeover. So whatever year it is that it actually occurs, there has to be a build-up time beforehand. So it is time to be watching very, very carefully these next months coming before us. Could it be as early as this next spring? I think it's very possible, looking at what's happening in the world. God doesn't nail down the year, but He says, watch what's going on. Watch what's going on. And be warned. Be forearmed. Be ready. Because this thing is going to come like a freight train. It's going to come very suddenly, in one hour and one day, a very short period of time, when Babylon will fall. 
So I think that should answer the question to a great degree of when is this gathering going to occur? Just before everything comes apart in this nation is when it will happen.